Hey there, party people. Really excited about this episode because it's the first guests I will have appear on the show and not the last. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Today I have Matt Kaner, who is a good friend of mine and wine connoisseur. He is the co-owner and wine director of Covell here in Los Angeles. It's off of Hollywood Boulevard, one of my favorite spots in the city. And Matt is a good friend and fellow Dodger fanatic and all around just great dude. And my other guest is ESPN senior NBA writer, Baxter Holmes. Baxter is also a wine connoisseur and had a recent article discussing the NBA's obsession with wine and the wine deliveries in the bubble. You can go check that out on ESPN.com. I am a big fan of his storytelling and I am super excited to have him on the show. So without further ado, let's get to it. Let's talk some sports and wine. My first question, I guess, to both of you then is, when did you guys first feel like you were getting into wine, like super into wine? Ooh, Matt, you want to take that take that one first? I'm curious. Yeah, what you're first. yeah. yeah so um, I first got drunk on wine at seven. So I always have to slip <laughs> that in there. Crushed a glass of champagne at a wedding when I was a kid. So it'd be... I think it'd be irresponsible of me to say that was when I first got into wine, but I know that people need to know that, that I was just a young buck stealing glasses at a wedding. So always be careful of the young buck at the wedding. Um, but when I really started to get into wine was during my time at UC Santa Barbara, I had a roommate whose dad was a big time wine collector. And so we were living in this house, 11 dudes on in Isla Vista on the beach. We were called the cock house, of course. And Andrew's dad would drive up a well-to-do tax attorney from LA and he would bring like aged Rieslings and he'd bring aged Burgundy and he'd bring old Armagnac and Cognac and he'd bring grower champagne. And he's given it to us when, you know, we were, let's say we were 21 for the sake of this. I'm going to say we were 21. We may not have been 21, but um, he really got me into wine as more than a, Oh, this is what you pour when you're making dinner for a girl trying to get her in your bed. Oh, there my, you go. <laughs> True. My story, yeah, my story is not nearly as, uh, I mean, it's far, it's far more recent, I'll put it that way. But um, I noticed that um, NBA players were posting a lot about wine, talking about wine. Uh, this is in late 2017, uh, so only a few years ago from now, and uh, was really apprehensive about potentially taking on a story about this subject because I didn't know anything about wine beyond the fact that it you know, there's red and white and another kind that had bubbles in it. Um, and that it's vast and has a bunch of uh, things that are really hard to pronounce. So uh, I, I hesitated a second over whether or not to pursue this story, uh, the initial story, uh, but decided to go ahead um, and ended up, you know, thanks to people like Matt and a ton of other really gracious and generous folks in the wine community, learning a lot, enough to make me feel comfortable writing it. And, uh, they, they were, uh, incredibly helpful all along the way of answering a million very basic follow-up questions. Um, so, but through that, I kind of, I became interested in wine because of my, my passion is storytelling and the art of storytelling and whatnot. And I came to realize that in many ways, each bottle of wine is, uh, in its own way, a story. It's a story of that place. Uh, it's a story of that year and what it was like there and what the grapes went through with weather and so many other things. Uh, it's a story of the people that made it um, and, and the history uh, that goes into it. So it's in some ways kind of a time capsule. And so I became interested in um, it 
through, you know, I, I, I just found that they were like really fascinating stories in wine. And then also I was really just kind of blown away by the ability of wine to bring together a really diverse range of people to a table. Um, you know, I, I write about sports, I cover sports. There's sports can unite mass audiences, people of all backgrounds and socioeconomic levels and whatnot. Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure that wine doesn't do it better, to be honest with you. I mean, wine has been around since the beginning of civilization. Um, it's certainly got some, some deep roots there. Sports has been around a long time too. Uh, but man, it, the ability of wine to do that is, is incredibly impressive. So yeah, that's, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole ever since, but that's my, that's my intro. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, th- I think I agree with you hundred percent with sports and, and, and wine. And I met Matt through a mutual friend that had a, a store RIP, uh, good measure, um, at a, a great restaurant there in Atwater village. Um, so Baxter, I saw your piece that was published a couple of weeks ago, August, August 6th, I believe. And I saw that the NBA secret wine club is a thing. And <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how you've seen NBA players? You know, we, we just watched the last dance and we saw these guys smoking cigars and drinking beer. But what these guys are transitioning now to like having wine tasting parties of the bubble. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's been, I think, I think it's hard to pin it down as to one particular thing that really started wine becoming a thing in the NBA. I think there's many things that have contributed to it. I think um, as players have become more interested in investing in post-career things in Silicon Valley or in the Bay, you know, whether it's tech or hedge funds or venture capitalists, look, I think there are tables where wine is there and they want to be able to speak wine and know about wine, become interested in wine. I think when the NBA instituted their dress code about, you know, I don't know the exact time. It was about like two decades ago. It, it ushered in the door of kind of being more interested in luxury goods. Um, you know, if guys are really competitive with like clothing and one to have better luxury designers and personal designers and wearing this and that, you know, watches and whatnot, I think they wanted to be able to understand other things as well. And wine kind of fits into that. And certainly there's connections between music and wine and how a lot of that started. But anyways, there's a, you know, and then there's specific individuals who've helped it along a lot, uh, such as the Spurs head coach, Greg Popovich, who's really, really into wine. So there's a culmination of things that have led us to this moment where wine is a thing in the NBA. Um, and it, you could also point to the fact that, uh, you know, players will say it's a little bit healthier to have like a glass of wine with dinner than to you know, have some kind of hard spirit or something like that. They feel a little better the next day. They're able to perform. Their body is their business. It's important. But here we are at this moment. Over the last five to 10 years, wine has become a much bigger part of the NBA culture. Guys being able to, you know, kind of speak the language, uh, being able to navigate a wine list and so on and so forth. And it's been led in in a large way by many of the star players, guys like Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, you know, Chris Paul, uh, Jimmy Butler, you have guys who are creating their own wine labels like Dwayne Wade, uh, CJ McCollum. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very star driven thing in the league and these teams aren't very big. So when you get, you know, a star player who's into it and they're bringing wine onto the plane or they're ordering wine at the dinner table, they're helping introducing it to their teammates and the bug kind of spreads from there. Other guys end up going down the rabbit hole. And, uh, yeah. So with respect to the bubble now, I knew that, that, you know, as I said, I'd, I'd written uh, in recent years about how wine was becoming a bigger deal in the NBA. This 
I don't want to call it a phenomenon, but this culture shift, uh, because as you're right, there, there was a time, it was a beer and liquor league forever. And this shift is, is fairly recent um, to wine. But uh, with respect to the bubble, I, you know, I presumed that the wine culture was going to transition there. But I also thought about it just from the mental health aspect of like, these guys are going to be in this thing for potentially up to three and a half months. There's a lot of that's going to be without friends and family. It's a very restrictive nature. You can't leave campus. Um, they are, uh, there's a pandemic raging outside, particularly in that state, Florida. There is a historic social justice movement going on. It's very heavy. Like the moment is very, very heavy. And so the elements of normalcy and comfort are in some ways even more important just to try to keep balance. And I had some people you know, tell me beforehand that that was going to be really important. And then it was after kind of seeing some posts on social media and hearing from some people about, you know, that there was a lot of wine coming into the bubble that I decided to pursue that story. But as I said, in many ways, it was just a story about mental health and, you know, the guys being more or less cooped up in their, in their hotel rooms for half the day, minus the time of whatever there is uh, for their scheduled daily COVID test or for whatever basketball activities there are, but being able to open a bottle of wine and share a glass from a distance with somebody um, is a bit of a, a break and a release that uh, I think is, you know, that they would say is important. And, and I tend to tend to agree. That's awesome. Matt, you own your own business and you uh, have had many other athletes approach Cobell here in, here in Hollywood in Los Angeles. Can you talk about yeah. your interactions with people from other sports too, that, that you use wine as a, you know, break bread kind of hang out, relax and unwind from the day. Absolutely. So I'm a lifelong Dodger fan and I have many more um, MLB wine relations than I do NBA where Baxter is like the go-to conduit of that world. I do have one though, and I've become um, buddy, buddy with Dwayne Wade to speak on, you know, he's got his own little wine project he has up in Napa with the Palmire winery. And so we were connected through a mutual friend he and his wife, Gabrielle Union, who is incredible in her own right as a, just a human being, as an actor, as a person. She's, she's such a great person. And um, so I've, I've shepherded experiences for them at Augustine Wine Bar that I co-founded. I'm no longer a part of now over in Sherman Oaks. And so Dwayne and I have gotten to be buddies. We talk about wine. I've bought his wine multiple times. Um, he, he, you know, the, 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 the energy around what they're doing in the NBA is so special. and because of the nature of how much money those guys make, the wines that are actually opening, and Baxter can speak to this, and if you read the most recent article or you see like JJ Reddick's uh, Instagram or you look at what Josh Hart's opening or what LeBron James has kind of quieted it a little bit, but the wines these guys are opening are wines that like on the low end are five, six, eight hundred dollars a bottle and upwards of many thousands. Now, when you make 16 to 20 million dollars a year, it's not a big deal. Um, the MLB side is a little bit more humble. Uh, about what wines they're drinking. And look, it's not bad. It's just, um, I'm thankful that I've gotten to be close with the coaching staff of the Dodgers. Uh, that connection originally was uh, my good friend, Kim Ang, used to be the assistant general manager of the Dodgers. She's now vice president of uh, MLB under Joe Torre. And she connected me to a bunch of people at the Dodger organization. She introduced me to Dodger photographer since 1985. Amazing Chinese American man. His, uh, his, grandfather was one of the founding members of Chinatown in LA, which is amazing. There's a plaque with his name on it, Chinatown. 
And so John introduced me to who we call Doc. Most people know as Dave Roberts, um, our manager of the Dodgers. Now, I think it is fifth season, maybe even sixth season. And um, Dave is a big wine guy. He played for uh, many baseball teams, one of which was the Giants, who are our rivals. And his time in the Giants organization, he became close with Rich Aurelia. They co-founded a winery after going to Napa together and staying friends. They have a little wine project called Red Stitch. And when, so I found out I had an opportunity to meet Dave. I got basically, I'm, I'm one of the few people who's ever going to go through security at Dodger Stadium and get to bring alcohol in with them. It was one of the coolest moments. Um, I had like special attention and uh, I got to bring in a birthier bottle of Beaulieu Vineyards, George De La Tour Private Reserve for Dave. Um, walked it down to the field. You know, he was doing his thing, kissing babies, signing autographs, doing what Dave does. And he came over and he was so excited. Dave is one of those people, as you get to know him better, you really, you have no choice but to respect just the man because someone like him who's been um, a sports figure, he changed the face of the, the Boston Red Sox organization by stealing the most important base in maybe all of baseball history against Mariano Rivera in the uh, ALCS 2004, uh, changed the trajectory of that. They went on to win the World Series in 2004. Dude will never pay for a beer in Boston ever again. Um, so someone like that, who's just like been enigmatic in the industry and matters to a lot of people, they don't have to give attention to you. They don't have to make you feel like they're listening. They don't have to remember your name. Dave Roberts looks you in the eye, asks you questions, listens, engages, and he does it with everyone. And that's the reason he got that job. Let's be honest. The Dodgers saw something in him that he unlocks things in people. Uh, and the Dodgers are a great organization. Someone else I became close with was in the organization as well and has a lot to do with the success of the young players during the player development era. The Dodgers were getting multiple you know, rookies of the year and putting great pitchers out through their drafts, through their um, player development. That's Gabe Kapler, who was the president of player development for, I think, four seasons. I got to meet Gabe and got to show that Gabe is someone who is very experiential. He likes to show up. He likes to tell you like, hey, we want to have like four courses and I want wines paired. Surprise me. And Gabe and I got to know each other well through these kind of experiences, became buddies. Um, Gabe loves wine, loves to imbibe, in, you know, a responsible way. Um, but he's someone who just wants to have the experience. And I've watched him go on and be the uh, manager for the Phillies, now the manager of our rival Giants. And <clears throat> the man himself is he's just such a class act. Um, he was someone who was high on the list to get that Dodger job as well and ended up leaving the organization to get another opportunity. Uh, but between those two guys, they're people who lock in, listen, understand things. They want you to know that they're listening and they're, they're, they're like, you know, they're present in the conversation. And that's one reason why I think wine makes a lot of sense for them. As Baxter touched on the storytelling, these guys are storytellers. They love to know every detail of their organization the players, where they come from, who their parents are. Wine for them is that off-field release where they can have that same muscle flex of knowing who grew the grapes, where it grew, what the vintage was like. And I've seen it time and time again throughout these, um, these whether they were athletes that became coaches or just in some cases just coaches alone. Um, my favorite story, though, is Rick Honeycutt. When I first met him, we were at um, – it was the game that Corey Seager came up and played his first – no, no, I'm sorry. No, this was opening day 2016 in San Diego. Excuse me. Corey Seager's coming up was a different, different game. Um, but we were at the Omni Hotel after the game, and we were at the, like, you know, where the players were hanging out, the coaches were hanging out. And 
he came to the bar and I wanted to buy him a glass of wine or something. He wanted two Coors Lights. And I was like, oh, man, really? You're going to drink C-minuses? You played in three <laughs> World Series in a row and you're going to drink Coors Light? And then I realized later, like, you know, it's just his upbringing. It's, it's, he's from a different era. It's who he is. I later got to know him and his interest in wine and Bob Guerin's interest in wine. And those guys, like, they really were interested. Just after a game, it's hot. It's whatever. They wanted something to cool off. And, you know, so it's funny. I, I wanted to add something briefly to what Matt had said. It was the means yep. to go big, right? To, to buy the, the big trophy bottles. Um, but it was in talking to a number of different people, whether it was wine directors at various high-end restaurants or even, you know, or collectors or uh, just people who had interacted with, the, with a lot of these athletes. They'd said, you know, what was kind of interesting for me was uh, their, their interest not in just buying you know, like the big trophy bottles, but they really wanted to understand like a lot of the nuances and the smaller details. And certainly winemakers, when they would host them in the vineyards, would be kind of really astounded by the, the level of depth uh, in, in the questions that they would get, you know, whether it's asking about, you know, the sunlight and the soil and all kinds of elements that go into making wine. And one of the things that I, I, that was actually a winemaker had said to me, he said, you know, sometimes when we get people who are really like high functioning people, like in the top 1% of their field, they could be top CEOs or their top, um, you know, like lawyers or surgeons or whomever, but like top 1% of a particular field, really high functioning. We find that they have, that they're like excellent at their craft. We find that they, when they see excellence in other crafts, there's like a genuine interest because that's, you know, they, that's how they got to where they were, like understanding the details and whatnot. So they kind of apply that mind to other things that they're interested in. And there's mutual respect as the old uh, like sports phrase is, you know, like game recognizes game. So a lot of these, a lot of players are, uh, you know, there's mutual respect for the winemaker, for the people who are involved in the process and trying to understand the, the, the details and how something can come to be. So again, while they have the means to go big, it, it is, it's, it's much deeper than that. And, you know, I've talked to players who've said like, you know, one of our, you know, great joys. It's like finding a great $30 bottle from a producer that is kind of under the radar and maybe a vintage that was underappreciated or something that people don't know about. You can blind people on and kind of blow them away by how good it is. So, um, I, yeah, again, I, I, I know that people will focus on like the, the, you know, the paychecks and these guys ability to, you know, go straight to the bottom of the list, uh, at any (laughs) restaurant. Um, but it is, yeah, but there is a, a much deeper element of interest to that, and again, I think it, it, there's a certain subset of people who achieve a level of excellence in their profession, and their minds work in such a way that helps them get there. And I think they, when they apply that to every to other things, you know, that's that's where that that real genuine interest in trying to learn how everything came about uh, can really shine in a way. Yeah, beautiful I mean, man, I love that. I've seen that in, so I, Matt and I have a love for music. I mean, we're both musicians in our own right, and I work in the music industry. And I see that with musicians that I had in my previous job. I used to interview them for oral histories and things like that. They were so into sports. A lot of them were into admiring and had become friends with a lot of sports figures. And I think, Baxter, you hitting it right on the head is like game recognizing game when you're Bruce Springsteen's friends with Joe Madden for a reason, you know, like those guys excel so high at a, at a high level. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's just an interesting correlation, I think for these loves that 
sports can bring a community together. And I think music also has that power to bring people, you know, really together. You, mm-hmm. The only time I ever see people uh, when we were able to go to these things, uh, really hug, not know the person next to them, sing and shout lyrics. Or if like the Dodgers hit a walk-off home run, you're hugging the guy next to you. You have no idea who the hell that is, you know, but it doesn't yeah. matter because you're all in this jubilation together. Um, and I think that, that wine as like, when I can see from my opinion, as Matt has gotten me into wine over the last three years, uh, you come together at the dinner table and have good conversations and storytelling and admire each other's craft, whatever it may be, you know? Um, I think it's really amazing. What would you guys suggest to (laughs) regular sports bro that drinks beers and eats dogs on how to maybe transition into like drinking some wine and having some charcuterie? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Right. Well, I think, a lot of us are the kinds of people that like in America, especially we like to know how other people are doing things before we kind of dive in ourselves. So, you know, the Instagram world that we live in where we're kind of, we're, we're following what we see our friends, what we see our people, we, we put on a pedestal and we, you know, idolize, admire, uh, spend our money from their brands, whatever, you know, however you get influenced nowadays. Um, I think it starts with like, if they're going to enjoy it, maybe I will too. And by kind of submitting to the fact that it's okay to like things. I think in America, you know, we grow up in these really singular kind of, you have to live a certain way. This is what you do. This is who you are. This is, this is what you drink. This is what you eat. And then all of a sudden you go and move into, you know, your post-college life. And you're like, man, seven days in a week to fill and I can do whatever I want. I have money in my bank now and I can, my parents aren't the ones buying the groceries. I can do what I want to do. Um, I think it's okay to be influenced. I think it's, excuse me, it's okay to have an open mind. I think it's okay to try things you didn't otherwise know how to eat, or maybe you can't pronounce whatever it happens to be. So step one is to like find a wine store or a wine bar where you can have a relationship, a dialogue with the owner, from there, have just the the open mind didn't know existed. People know about six different grapes, but there's 6,000 out there. So push a little deeper, ask more questions, unlock doors you don't know are locked, learn that that key is the most important thing to get you where you're going. Baxter, your turn. Yeah, so uh, Matt touched on something that I, that I would harp on to anybody, really. Um, well, he touched on a few things. One, look, in, in America, we tend to not grow up with wine on the dinner table, even though this is something that is on the dinner table for so many other people or different cultures and countries around the world. Um, one of the big influences in the NBA, like coming into wine more, is that there's been such an influx of people from uh, different other countries, whether it's throughout Europe or South America, Australia, whatever, over the last couple of decades. And wine is just a part of dinner. You have a glass of wine with dinner. And, um, you know, so that's helped kind of facilitate it. So in some ways, America's just behind. It's catching up, but it, it has been behind. Um, so if you look at this, like, this is how, like, kind of life works. Like, they've been doing it in Italy forever, and quality of life there isn't bad. Um, you know, the, the, I think it's okay. The, the second thing I would say is wine can be intimidating for people on the outset. It's vast. It's endless. I don't know. Yeah, how do I order? It can be really expensive. I don't know what I like. It's endless. And that could just kind of turn people, and then you're, you know, you're holding a wine list in front of like a bunch of people. What do I order? I don't want to look stupid. You know, who, who, what if somebody doesn't like this or whatever? 
And the thing that I would just encourage anybody to do, which Matt kind of touched on, is to have a conversation with, if you're, if you're in a, I, I, had a, I had one this very morning with somebody at a wine shop. I was describing, you know, what I needed and why, like just giving some loose parameters. And then they're like, boom, this is what you want done. And I was like, oh, great. That'd be, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, like short story, this is kind of the evolution of me like having a conversation, but I went to a restaurant uh, or I was going to Dallas for a writing conference and I, I messaged a friend of mine in the wine community who I know travels a lot. And I said, what restaurant should I go to in Dallas? They said, oh, you should go to this one. It's like, they have a lot of wine from um, like Lebanon and Armenia and like some other, some other kind of countries with wine that you probably aren't familiar with. It's really interesting. You should go. And so we went, I brought two other writers with me. We're sitting at the table. I kind of figure out the food that we're going to order. Like we'll start with these two dishes, then go to these two, then these two kind of mains. And then I called the sommelier over and I was like, look, you know, here's what we're kind of eating. Here's what we're going to eat. Like the, the kind of the pace of dinner. Here's what I'm thinking. Like, I don't know a lot about the wines that you have. You know, I've seen them before, but you built this list. This list is, you know, you know how, you know, these wines, you know, they're drinking, you know, what would pair well with what, why don't you just do like a half glass, two half glasses with each round for us. And I just kind of put it in your hands and that's it. And, you know, more and more when I go to restaurants or wine bars or wine shops, or whatever, I'll just have a conversation with somebody there. And I end up getting, having a way better experience on, on you know, there and, or leaving with the better wine than I would have coming in because they know. So it's okay to ask. It's okay to have a conversation. You know, I, 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 some of the most memorable nights I've been fortunate enough to have, have have all started from that. So I think you just kind of have to check your ego at the door and just be like, look, you don't know, but there's people that do know. They're paid to help you. Like they want to help you. They're eager to help you. This is what their love and their passion is. Why wouldn't you tap into that knowledge? Um, and, and, you know, to, to that point, I think that the kind of, I would, I would say to people who aren't, you know, who maybe don't know about wine, they're not sure if they should get into it. The thing I would say is like, look, you will, on the one hand, you'll have better meals. I promise you. Like once you learn the magics of pairings and things like that, like you'll have better meals on that end. But the other thing I would say is that you're going to have great conversations with people. You're, you're going to meet people you probably wouldn't have otherwise met. And if only for this, the human interaction and potentially forming relationships with people, like that in and of itself, I would say is a good reason to get into wine. Um, so if, all, if everything that I just said, again, I know that was a long, really long-winded answer, isn't enough, if, that, if like my pitch as to why someone should maybe consider getting into wine and some of the avenues in which you do it, if that isn't enough, then I don't know what more I can say. Dude, that's so good. And hear you on the whole kind of the communal element of it, the, the relationship building, the opening doors, the getting to somewhere you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. I mean, truly, in my life, what I've learned when I go out to a restaurant is, look, I don't want to read a menu anymore. I don't want to read a wine list anymore. I know enough about wine to know that I'm open-minded. So mm -hmm. when you know a place has a certain ilk of kitchen excellence and their wine list is great, you put yourself in their hands, tell them what you're trying to accomplish, and maybe sometimes you don't know exactly what you want to drink. Let them show you, because there's things like seasonality that matter. There's things like what city you're in and what kind of wines are popular there and available there that matter. I don't personally like to think about it like a best or a favorite choice. It's all about context. And mm. so context will always change what I drink, why I drink it, who I drink it with. The weather, like right now, being 97 to 100 degrees, I don't want to be fucking red wine. No fucking way. 
So that's me, right? So submit to the fact that it's okay not to know the answer to questions. Learn to ask good questions. And you got two ears and one mouth, so listen more. Yeah. I, I, I will just do one quick point on that. Like, I think I've been fortunate in that my job as a journalist is to ask questions and to listen and to just like be curious and admit that I don't know, like the mark of, you know, a lot of editors will say the mark of good journalism is just like, you don't know, and it's your job to learn so you can explain it. So that, so I, I am able to walk into those situations just with kind of those tools in my toolbox, so to speak, but everything you said is so, is so on point. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd rather put it in the hands of an expert than not. It's the same way, like if I was going to have surgery, I'd rather, you know, a surgeon do it than just, you know, somebody else. So I don't know why you wouldn't rely on an expert to help kind of narrate, you know, um, a, a much better experience for you or create one, I should say. Hear you. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, that's just good advice on life, Matt. You have two ears and a mouth, you know, ask questions. It's okay to not know everything. You don't, you're not going to know everything, right? Absolutely right. It, it, look, I'm a firm believer. If you like something, something, a song, a show, an actor, actress, a bottle of water, a wine, a beer, a football team, you're going to like something else. It's just how it works. You don't only like one thing in the world. So how we get to that next thing ultimately defines the questions you ask, the quest for knowledge you have, how you quench your thirst. You know, this is, it's a life philosophy all built in. Uh, kind of the sphere and the the ex the execution of food and drink. It's really it's a life philosophy all wrapped up into it, and that's what I love about it. Baxter, do you have any uh, stories with NBA players? You know, breaking bread, drinking some wine, and you know maybe hearing something from them that you wouldn't have heard otherwise. Obviously, don't reveal anything too private. But. Yeah, you know, you know the one uh, one that kind of sticks out. It was being it was a really neat experience uh, for me was I was in, I was at Aspen Food and Wine Classic a year ago, and I was invited in part to attend a small dinner with Dwayne Wade, um, who has his own wine label, Wade Cellars, um, and, uh, or I think it's Dean Wade Cellars, but anyway. Excellent wines, um, excellent wines. Yeah, made with Paul Meyer, like very reputable, uh, uh, you know, winemaker, so he really went to in terms of like, yeah, you know, working with some great people to help make their wines, like went to the, to the top shelf to do it. So the, the, but going there and I was like singing across from him and I've interviewed him before. Like it's, you know, he and I are familiar with each other, but it was also during the, um, it was during, I think the, def the final game of the NBA finals last year between the Raptors and the Warriors. And so we had like a phone propped up against a great, three liter bottle of Bordeaux. And I remember, you know, he was kind of offering insight to table that he could about the game and some of the, you know, some of the things he was saying, obviously from a player who played at a super high level for a long time, you know, like he, he would recognize something small that maybe we wouldn't see and then kind of add nuance, maybe tell a story about his career or whatnot. But something else happened that was really neat. So I was sitting next to a friend of mine who's a master sommelier and he did, um, like uh, he went, he, I think the phrase is called like going through the grid, but he basically broke down a wine, you know, from the color, from, you know, on the nose, from on the palate. And it was a, it was a glass of great white burgundy. And Dwayne, as he was watching him do it, was just so entranced by 
you know, by basically, you know, somebody who's a master of their field, uh, uh, being able to pick up on all the subtle, um, you know, tasting notes, being able to describe everything in such a methodical, surgical way. And his, like, his mouth was open, his eyes were wide. It was so impressive. Again, it was like one of those game recognizing game moments. But yeah, that was, it was really cool to see, to just see, um, you know, again, somebody who's at, like, been at the top of their field, you know, several times um, and played at an incredibly high level throughout their career. And obviously, he's very passionate about this, but just kind of have such respect for, you know, basically someone on the other, uh, literally on the other side of the table who's doing the same kind of thing. So that was, that was definitely uh, a, a pretty cool one for sure. That's awesome. Matt, have you had any, I know you've, you've met a lot of people we've met and do you met in mutual people, but do you have any kind of stories that you were like surprised about, you know, someone's demeanor at the dinner table or, you know, kind of so, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Again, again, in the, in the Dodger camp, um, last summer, <clears throat> 2019, when you could still go to baseball games live, me and uh, another friend flew out to Philadelphia for four game Dodgers Philly series. And it was John Sue, whose birthday, the day of game one. So we flew out with a suitcase of wine. The plan was to go to this little Italian restaurant after the game that Tommy Lasorda used to go to after the games. Then Don Mattingly used to go to after games. And now Dave Roberts gets to go to after games through John Sue. And so it was me, our friend Michael Richards, who I've traveled with, Dave Roberts, John Suhu, the head of security, Al Garcia, who also works with the Lakers. I'm sure Baxter knows him. And then <clears throat> Alana Rizzo, who I'm a big fan of. And she works for Sportsnet LA. She is an amazing journalist. She's um, used to follow the Rockies. She's from Colorado. And she's been with the Dodgers now, I think, seven seasons or so through Sportsnet LA. And <clears throat> I didn't know Alana's real interest level, but I knew that her boyfriend had a little wine label. Um, and so we, we talked a lot about that. Uh, Chris Iannetta, who played for the oh, Angels yeah. for a long time. And has been, yeah, exactly. And I'm a catcher, so I, I'm always, I always know catchers. You know, yeah. That's my thing. So we really connected on the fact that, like, she loves wine. She loves wine with dinner. She knew a lot about wine. And uh, she was able to connect Chris and I. And I, I did carry his wines, and the wines are quite good. So that was a nice surprise because I didn't know that, that she was uh, – that he was – excuse me. I didn't know I'd get that connection. I didn't know Alana was coming to dinner. So it was, it was a quite nice surprise. That's awesome, man. Hmm? Guys, She's great. Guys, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. And I know there's more discussions to be had. And hopefully one day we could all sit together at a table and actually have more uh, <laughs> candidly. But, someday. Um, someday. <laughs> someday soon. Um, but I want to thank you guys. Anything before we sign off here? Anything else you want to add to anyone trying to, you know, get into wine? I think you guys hit it pretty, pretty hard, though. I would say connect with Matt. I mean, Matt is one of the, as I look back uh, a few years ago, uh, which feels at this current moment like a million years ago, um, uh, Matt was one of the very first people that I connected with. And, you know, when I'm referencing people who, I asked a million questions of and should not have been nearly as uh, gracious and patient uh, with their time to answer uh, everything that, that I was, you know, asking. Uh, Matt is certainly very, very high on the list. And at, uh, yeah, at good measure, rest in peace, uh, you know, it, whether it was sitting at the bar or, or somewhere near him in some vicinity, whether it was there or elsewhere, um, 
you know, Matt uh, is definitely one of the people who I'm feel very fortunate to have connected with at that time. Um, and, uh, has definitely helped me along the path. And, you know, I don't know if some of the stories I've done would have been possible without him. That means a lot, man. My, it's my absolute pleasure. Absolute awesome. pleasure. Matt, you're the same with me, buddy. We, uh, we bonded at good measure. We became, we're huge Dodger fans and music nerds. And here we yes, are. Yes, we are. Now. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for coming on, Baxter. Uh, good luck uh, covering today's game. Go Lakers! And uh, go Lakers! Yeah, and uh, well, hopefully, we'll and hopefully, talk hopefully, we're about to, hopefully, we're about to beat our future point guard tonight. <laughs> oh, hey, hey! Now, tonight, the playoffs are here. I'm glad it should be fun. I'm excited.